see our kids and students, and I just want to say the future is bright. Amen? Amen. You can take a seat. Gosh, I love having our kids lead us in worship. I, I'm thinking we're going to need to start adding motions every week, Patrick. We need to start adding some motions to our worship. So, so great. Uh, I think the only bummer is that I didn't get RJ to do the message this morning. I mean, how awesome are RJ and Rhea? They are incredible. Uh, so great. And you know, uh, I just want to say, as one of the pastors here, thank you. Thank you for believing in the next generation and not seeing them as the next generation, but seeing them as the now generation. Thank you. Thank you for how you invest in kids and students. You know, we set out this goal and we said, wouldn't it be amazing if we could invest in kids in this city, kids around the world, and kids here at Soul City? And we had this goal of $350,000 for the Next Is Now campaign. Soul City, you crushed that. We brought in over $375,000. And it is incredible to see how God is at work here in this city and around the world. So thank you. Thank you that you choose to be generous. In fact, I want to invite our host team to come forward now as, as we take a time uh, to give back to God. And really, we believe this is a form of worship when we choose to say, God, I want to give instead of grip. I want to give back out of all of the things that you have given to me instead of grip and hoard and hold on to. And so many of us around here, we love to give in the gathering as a form of worship. Lots of us love to give online or text in to give. If you're a guest here, please don't feel any obligation uh, to give. This is an opportunity for those of us that call Soul City Church our home to give back to how God is moving in and through this church. And in the next generation is just one of the most beautiful ways that he is moving. My name is Jeannie Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here, and I'm excited because today we are kicking off a brand new series, uh, and it is called Life Swap. And over the next month, during the month of June, we are going to be looking at how do you find your true self in a selfie-centered world? <laughs> How do you find your true self in a selfie-centered world? So I, I want to start out this message, and I just thought it would be good for us to do some public confession, just starting out. That's always a great way to start a message, right? Just public confession. Everybody's all in. Everybody loves it. You're looking for the door right about now, right? <laughs> so here's my first question. You can just raise your hand. How many of you have taken a selfie at some point in your life. Yeah, look around the room. You are in good company. You are in good company. Okay, now here's the second question. How many of you have taken a selfie and you looked at it and you decided you didn't like it and so you took another one? <laughs> Truth? Truth? Okay, good, good. The confession is going well here. Uh, how many of you, this is the last question, then we'll do the altar call. How many of you have taken a selfie and then you used a special filter or app to make that picture look just a little bit better. Truth, truth. All right, those of you come forward in the name of Jesus. We live in a selfie world, don't we? Uh, the other day I was actually uh, at a restaurant and I went into the bathroom real quick and uh, I overheard two girls, they were washing their hands and the one girl was super concerned and she said to her friend, oh my gosh, I, I'm so worried about you. 
And the other girl was like, what? what? What's wrong? She's like, it's been like two days since you have posted a selfie. And I wondered what was wrong in your life, right? I, I mean, the concern that I heard, the empathy, the compassion that was at work in this women's restroom. We live in a selfie world. And behind every photo that is posted, there are like 43 photos that didn't make the cut, and they live in the selfie graveyard, right? I think we have all had moments of pretending to be someone we are not. When we spend all of our energy on a curated life, we end up forgetting the true self, the true life that God intended and created for us to live. And that's why here at Soul City, we talk about transformation all the time. It's why we are so passionate about leading people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. Because transformation is simply just closing the gap from who you are to who God created you to be. That's what transformation is all about. It's just closing the gap from who you are or who you kind of put forth you are in the world to who God ultimately created you to be. And that's what this series over the next month is going to be all about. And I'm so excited about it because we're going to be looking at one of my favorite writers throughout these next five weeks in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at different letters from the Apostle Paul uh, as we seek to figure out how do you swap out the life that you've created for the life that God intended you to live. Now, if I were to say one of the primary things that I think many of us have put on, many of us have begun to believe about ourselves that causes us to have to put out a selfie curated life. Many of us, what we have put on is this. We have put on shame. Or maybe you haven't put on shame and someone has put shame on you. Maybe even as a child, you heard the phrase, shame on you. Literally putting shame on another person. And lots of times when it comes to shame, we think that shame and guilt are kind of synonymous, that they're the same thing. But shame and guilt are actually quite different because guilt says, I made a mistake, and shame says, I am a mistake. You see, that's the difference. Guilt says, oh gosh, I, I made a mistake. I did something wrong. I need to repair that. But shame says, I am a mistake. And no one likes either feeling. Uh, they are not popular feelings, shame and guilt. People don't go looking for shame and guilt. But healthy guilt can actually lead us to conviction, which can lead us to change. But shame is entirely different. Shame feels like a storm cloud that rolls into our lives and permeates every part of our being, causing us to believe that we are a mistake. And shame can come into your life in lots of different ways. Maybe things you've done, things that have been done to you, things you've said, things that were said to you, something that 
maybe occurred last week or maybe something that occurred a couple of decades ago. But shame is something we all experience at some level. And it can, can consist of everything from slight embarrassment to deep regret and humiliation. And what's so confusing about shame is that it actually lurks in the dark, but it has this power to destroy the human mind and heart and soul because it actually alters your neuropsychological state every single time you experience shame. And the impact of shame it goes beyond any definition that we would even try to give it. You see, we could try to define what shame is, and, and I could say to you, you know, you know, shame is that feeling that you feel when you say phrases like, I don't know, I, I guess I'm just not smart enough. Or, or shame is that feeling that you experience when you, you have that sense like, I don't know if I will ever measure up. But shame goes so far beyond just those phrases and those words. Shame has the power to literally take you back to a moment and you can find yourself sitting in a classroom where you're trying to understand a math equation and you don't understand it and you raise your hand and you ask the teacher, can you help me understand? And the teacher says, Jeannie, I have said this to you so many times, why don't you understand? Shame can take you back to that moment. And it can cement a limiting belief that can travel with you throughout your life. I guess I'm not smart enough. Or shame can maybe take you back to a, a field on the playground where everybody was picking teams for kickball and you were the last one picked. And that thought entered your mind. I wonder if I'll ever measure up. I wonder if I'll ever be first. Or if I'm just destined to always be last. A couple weeks ago, I was speaking at a conference and ran into someone that I hadn't seen in many years. And, and I was so happy to see her. Her son was actually in uh, our youth ministry when we were uh, working at another church many, many years ago. In fact, Jared actually did uh, his wedding. And I, I ran into her, hadn't seen her in a number of years. And I said, oh, it's so good to see you. How are you? And she instantly said, well, I'm good. But my son's life is a total mess. He married the wrong woman. He's totally walked away from God. I don't know. I think he's just kind of ruined everything. And she went on and she said, I mean, I mean he's happy, I guess, but I don't even know who he is, and I'm pretty sure he's on the path to ruining his life. Well, as I was talking to her in the moment, I'm sure you can imagine, because you feel the feeling that I feel right now, the entire temperature of the conversation changed, right? And I could feel the judgment in her words. I could literally feel the shame that she had for her son as she explained how he was doing. 
And I felt uncomfortable in the moment, and I wasn't even sure really what to do. And so I kind of like graciously said, well, it's, it's so good to see you. I'm, I'm so glad that we ran into one another. And she said, oh, and that's not the worst of it. You would not believe some of the things he has gotten into. You'd not believe some of the choices he's made. And as she continued to heap shame on her son in this conversation, I found myself kind of thinking and praying, you know, the, those feelings when you have a conversation with God, but you're also kind of listening to the person that's talking to you. And the thoughts that started to roll through my mind, I began to say, God, this is what I would like to say to this woman. And he very clearly said, I don't think that's what you should say right now. <laughs> and as she continued on, um, and as she continued to share about her feelings about her son. And as I could tell the shame cloud that she had for her son, I finally couldn't take it anymore. And I said, you know, I'm so glad that we ran into one another. And I don't know, would, would you be open to some thoughts that I might have? Would you be open maybe to some feedback? And she said, oh, Jeannie, it's just so good to see you all those years ago. I've always appreciated your wisdom. Yes, I would love to hear what your thoughts are. And I thought, this is the last time she's going to appreciate my wisdom. <laughs> I said, you know, I, I'm glad we ran into one another. And I'm not sure this is what you want to hear. But do you know what your son most needs from you? He needs your love, not your judgment. Shaming him is only going to cause him to run further from you, and my guess is further from God. But loving him, loving him might just be the thing that opens up his heart to see that you are so much more than a judge in his life. You're his mom. You see, shame has a simple goal. It has the same goal for you that it has for me. Shame's goal is this, to get you to believe that you are unworthy of love. That's the goal of shame, to get you to believe that you are unworthy worthy of love. Brene Brown says it this way, shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we are capable of change. It corrodes the very part of your mind, your heart, and your soul that believes that we are capable of change. And the enemy has been bringing shame into our lives from the very beginning of time. You think all the way back to the very beginning. You turn all the way to the left in this book. You go to the book of Genesis, back to the Garden of Eden, all the way back, and the very first words in Genesis 2.25 says this, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no what? They felt no shame. You know, it's pretty easy to pay attention to the physical state of Adam and Eve in this verse. It says that they were naked. But the Bible goes on and it says, I don't want you to just pay attention to their physical state. I want you to pay attention to their emotional state. They felt no shame. Adam and Eve had never felt shame. Shame was the one thing that God chose to say in the text. He could have said anything. 
He could have said anything. He could have said, Adam and Eve were naked and they were not cold. Right? Right? I mean, they didn't have clothes on, right? He could have said that. But he said, Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame. He could have said they felt no fear. They felt no worry. They felt no anxiety. But, But God goes to the point to say they felt no shame. They didn't even know the feeling. They had never even entertained the thought, there must be something wrong with me. Adam and Eve never felt that. And God knows the impact that shame can have on our lives. And I believe that's why he intended for you and I to never experience it. You know, most of us know the story of then what happened to Adam and Eve. They felt no shame, but they decided to do the very thing that God asked them to not do. And they took the fruit from the tree that was in the middle of the garden. And within an instant, within an instant, shame entered their lives. Shame entered their lives. And the Bible says that their, their eyes were opened and they noticed that they were naked. And so they, they sewed up some fig leaves uh, to cover them for clothes. And, and Adam blamed Eve for making him eat the fruit, which is the first recorded moment of a man blaming a woman for all of his problems. <laughs> it's in the Bible. You should go read it later. And for the first time, they hid from God. See, blame, shame, and hiding were never a part of their lives before. But the Bible says they hid. They hid. But I love this in Genesis 3. It says God went looking for them. How awesome is this? It says, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, well, I, I heard you were in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. And he said, who told you? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? What a profound and beautiful question that God asks. Where are you? Who told you? Where are you? I mean, as if God doesn't know where Adam and Eve are. He is God. He can see everything. He always wins at hide and seek. But God says, where are you? Who told you? And the goodness of God to ask this question, where are you? Who told you that you were naked? And the heart of the Father wants to know, at what point did you believe the lie that this is not who you are? God knows when shame is present, we run from the presence of God. Whenever shame is present in your life, you can count on the truth that you will run from the presence of God. And that's why the enemy wants to put on you the one thing that God wanted to never have put on you. And that is shame. Shame is not what God designed But shame is what so many of us have learned to put on in our lives. And that's why we want to figure out how to swap it out for what God intended. Now, the person that we're going to be looking at for this next month, I told you, is Paul 
the apostle. And I want you to grab your Bible because for just a moment we're going to look at a passage. It's found on page 916 and we're going to literally look at one verse, one sentence from the life of Paul. And as you're turning there, it's important that you understand this. Now Paul wrote most of the letters in the New Testament. In fact, when I was in college, I had to take a course called the Pauline Epistles where we studied all of the letters of Paul. And there are a lot of important things that we're going to learn about Paul over the coming month. But one of the primary things that you need to understand about Paul is that he was not always Paul. He was first known as Saul of Tarsus, and he was brought up as a Pharisee. He was a brilliant mind, a devout Jew. He had studied the Old Testament text throughout his life. He was brilliant. If I were to give Paul an Enneagram number, I would probably say he was a five. He was very, very wise. And to know Saul of Tarsus is to know that he was a persecutor of the church. He did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He was actually present for the stoning of Stephen, one of the disciples. And his mission in life was to stop the movement of the gospel. But Saul had a radical conversion experience. We're going to look at it in a couple of weeks. And Jesus changed his life. He had a life swap, and he transformed his identity. And not only did Jesus transform his identity, he said, you will no longer be known as Saul. Your new name is Paul. And Paul became this traveling evangelist and this missionary, and the letter that we're going to look at, the book of Romans, is probably Paul's most passionate letter. And the whole goal of the book is to help people understand the gospel. Now, some of the most well-known verses and memorized passages of the Bible come out of this book. In fact, the verse that we are going to look at for just a moment is one of the first verses that I ever memorized as a young girl. And this is what it says, Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, Here's a little tip for you as you are studying the Bible. Every time you see the word, therefore, it is a great indicator for you to pause and to say, what is it there for? To literally use that phrase, therefore, what is this verse there for? (laughs) And, And Paul says, this is important that you understand this. And when you think about the history of Saul that I just told you, who became Paul, here is a guy that had every reason to feel condemnation, right? You think about his history. You think about who Saul of Tarsus was. You think about the fact that he was there when a man was stoned. You think about that his ambition was to stop the movement of Jesus. I mean, here's a guy who made huge mistakes, And you can only imagine the trail of pain that was left for so many people. He said things and he did things that would have left him laden with guilt. In one of his letters, he even describes himself as the chief of sinners. I mean, this is a guy that had every reason to be wearing shame. He had every reason to feel like he was a mistake. And you know, people that live in shame live in condemnation. So how? How is it even possible for a guy like Paul to be able to say, 
There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I believe it's possible because Paul knew the transforming love of Jesus. He experienced a life swap. And there is a very real enemy that does not want you to experience that life swap. If he can heap shame on you, he can keep you in condemnation. But Paul says, listen, there's no condemnation. It doesn't matter the shame that you have experienced. There's no condemnation. You know what condemnation does? Condemnation invites harm over and over and over again into our lives. But conviction invites hope. And that's what Paul experienced. He invited conviction. And that brought him to hope. Paul had made mistakes, but because of Jesus, he didn't experience condemnation. Instead, what Paul experienced was a conviction that led him to transformation. I mean, have you ever done something wrong and you just thought, oh gosh, if I could just have a big fat do-over. I mean, that's not what I meant to say. Have you ever had words fall out of your mouth and they're falling out of your mouth and you're like, where's the eraser? How do I undo what I just said? I bet we all have someone that if we were passing around the mic today to tell a tale about you, there's a someone that you would want to make sure did not get the mic. We've all made mistakes. And what condemnation does is it invites us to return to that mistake, to return to the shame, to return to the guilt, to stay hidden and in the dark, to do the same thing that Adam and Eve did, to run and hide from God. But conviction, which is what Paul experienced, is something entirely different. Conviction is actually a gift from the Holy Spirit to help us transform, to experience a life swap, to come out from the dark and to let ourselves be seen. Condemnation invites harm into your life, but conviction invites hope. And that is why Paul can confidently say, there is no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. And what shame hates more than anything, shame hates it when we reach out and we tell our story. Shame hates it when we invite hope. You see, shame wants to keep you at a distance from God and at a distance from others. But do you remember what God did in the garden? He went and looked for Adam and Eve. Even as they were hiding, God wanted intimacy. And intimacy requires proximity. You have to come out and be seen. You have to come out and be seen. And the danger of isolation is greater than the risk of intimacy. You know, so many of us have gotten so comfortable. We've gotten so comfortable hiding, not letting ourselves be seen, staying in the dark, believing that no one knows the shame that we feel. And Jesus says the only way the only way you can experience a life swap is if you come out into the light. If you come out into the light and you, and you let yourself be seen. 
You know, the example that I used earlier in the message was not a made-up, fictitious scenario. Growing up, I was uh, a decent student. I got A's and B's. Um, But as I got older, math got a lot harder for me. And I really started struggling in school. Really started struggling to, to understand math concepts. And I remember oftentimes in class, like raising my hands, I don't understand, I don't understand. Can you explain that again? And I felt like a broken record and I just, I I couldn't get it to form in my mind. Until a teacher said, Jeannie, I have explained this to you before. I don't understand why you're not getting it. And I don't know what it was, but in that moment, shame entered my life. Because that's the moment that I can trace back to starting to begin to believe the lie that I was stupid, that I would never be smart. I remember sitting in his classroom and feeling embarrassed. And, and it started this pattern that formed, and it was kind of even an unconscious pattern. I didn't even realize I was doing it, but I didn't want to feel that feeling again. I, I didn't want to feel that embarrassment. I didn't want to feel that shame. And so the pattern that formed was I just decided to keep my hands down. And I never asked questions anymore. And I just kind of faked my way and pretended my way through math. You can imagine what a struggle that was. And and that lie began to pick up more steam and more energy in my life. And putting shame on had all kinds of impact throughout my life. It kept me playing small. It kept me pretending. It kept me hiding. I'm sure you can only imagine what a lie like not believing you're smart can do to a person that's trying to start a church. I mean, that was a doozy of a lie that the enemy just kept pouring over, pouring over onto my life. And it wasn't until I started bringing that lie out from the dark and into the light and sharing my story that I actually began to put on what was available to me all along through Jesus, to actually put on what Jesus offered, and that is worth. Because when Jesus swaps out shame in our life, what he puts on us is his worth, that we are enough. We are enough. Even if we don't understand algebra, we are enough. And what Paul is trying to say in this passage is that if Christ is in you, shame can't be on you. Listen, if, if Christ is in you, shame can't be on you. And for some of you today, that is some good news. You have an inner amen that you want to let out right now. If Christ is in you, shame can't be on you. And I believe... The Spirit of God is here today asking the very same question that he asked back in the garden. Where are you? Where are you? Have you been believing a lie about shame in your life? 
not just where are you, who are you? Who told you? Who told you these lies? You know, I have an app on my phone. I think I've told you all about this before. It's called Mind Jogger. And the whole goal of the app is to just ask you questions periodically throughout the day. And you never know when it's coming, but it just shoots an alert and it asks whatever question you type in to have you ask. Do you know what question pops on my phone eight to 10 times a day? Where are you? Where are you? Happened at 8.23 this morning. Happened at 10.10 a.m. It's got about six more times to go today. If Christ is in you, shame can't be on you. And some of you have had shame on you for far too long. Maybe it was something you did, something that was done to you, a mistake, a big regret an experience that has defined how you see yourself. And I simply want to say to you today, if Christ is in you, shame can't be on you. If Christ is in you, shame can't be on you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But in order for us to experience the life swap, in order for us to move from shame to worth, it requires our willingness to be vulnerable and say, I don't want shame in or on my life anymore. Vulnerability is not an option. You can't experience the life swap without it. You're human, so that makes you vulnerable. The only option in that is the degree to which you allow other humans to experience your vulnerability. And so what I want to do is I want to create a space for us to take shame off and to allow Jesus to put worth on. And some of us in this room, the very thing that you need today is to be prayed for. And some of us in this room, the very thing that you need to offer is prayer. In other words, there's only two options for the next two moments. Some of us are going to receive ministry, and the rest of us are going to be the ministers. So not only did you have to do a public confession in church, you're also going to become a minister today. So what I want to invite us to do right now is I actually want to invite you to stand. You can leave everything on your chair. And we're going to move into a time of worship and prayer. And I want to give us a little bit of space. You know, we live in such a fast and noisy world. I just want to invite you to close your eyes, to be still for a moment. And if you know that you have been carrying around shame in your life, There was an experience that defined how you see yourself. There's a mistake in your past and it just lives ever present in your mind. A regret that maybe you've believed is keeping you from the worth that Jesus has to offer you. 
you have been putting on shame, I want to invite you to receive the gift of ministry to be prayed for this morning. So that means the rest of us are going to do the praying. We're going to bring the ministry. And in a moment, if that's you, if you need to receive the gift of ministry, I simply want you to just put your hand up. And at the same time, we're all going to lift our heads and we're going to just look around. And those of you that have your hands raised, the rest of us are going to come and we're going to pray for you. So we're going to move about the room. We're going we're to do something a little bit different here. And if you see somebody's hands raised, I just want you to go up to them and I literally want you to put your hand on their shoulder and I want you to pray this prayer. If Christ is in you, shame can't be on you. If Christ is in you, shame can't be on you. If Christ is in you, shame can't be on you. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's simply what we're going to do. No one needs to tell their life story. You don't need to go back to when you were three years old. No one needs to say anything more than that. You're just going to simply raise your hand because what we want to experience here is the life swap, don't we? To move from shame to worth. To be reminded that if Christ is in you, shame can't be on you. And so, Jesus, I pray right now that you would create a space of ministry here, God. I pray that you would transform this room, God, that we would come into your presence. And, God, you tell us that when we are in your presence, shame isn't allowed. And so, Jesus, I pray right now for a space of ministry. God, I pray for a space of vulnerability. I pray for a space of courage. And I know that there are friends of mine here in this room today, God, and they know that they need to receive the gift of prayer. They need to receive the gift of ministry. Lord, I know there are others that you are calling to step up and to give the gift of ministry. There's only two options, to be ministered to or to minister. So if you need to receive the gift of ministry today, I just want you to put your hand up and someone is going to come around the room and pray, if Christ is in you, shame can't be on you. So if that's you, just lift your hand. And the rest of you, I want to invite you to just lift your head and if someone's hand is around you and, and it's raised, I just want you to boldly and courageously go and put your hand on their shoulder and pray. If Christ is in you, shame can't be on you. If Christ is in you, shame can't be on you. This is going to require you to move about a little bit. It's going to require you to, to find some courage. If Christ is in you, shame can't be on you. No one raises their hand and doesn't get to experience the gift of ministry. So if you see a hand raised, I just want you to go over to that person right now. If Christ is in you, shame can't be on you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When we are in Jesus, shame is not allowed. If Christ is in you, shame can't be on you. I just want to invite you to experience the swap that only Jesus can bring to move us from shame to experiencing 
his worth. And so Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the truth and the hope that you are still asking us the question, where are you? And today we declare that if Christ is in us, shame is no longer on us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen.